everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay, I suppose. As I record this, it is currently the perennium of a week that finds itself between Christmas and New Year's Eve, and Lisa and I have both been feeling a little bit under the weather. Which is a stupid fucking phrase. Because you know what else is under the weather? The entire population of the planet Earth, regardless of their level of infirmity. I can only hypothesize that that phrase must have been made up by a couple of really just stuck-up astronauts. Just hanging out up in outer space, and one of them looks at the other and is like, Reginald, what do you suppose those poor Earth peasants are doing down there? You know, under the weather. And Reginald's like, Well, Barnsworth, one can only assume they're just puking and having diarrhea. Ha ha ha! Astronaut high five! Stupid, stuck-up astronauts. Oh, I hate that Reginald and that Barnsworth. Quite frankly, I'm not that thrilled with diarrhea and vomiting either. Anyway, Happy New Year! Oh, and since this episode is coming out on January 1st, that does bring something else up. There's a new podcast that I believe just came out today that you guys should be listening to. Uh, It is called Garden Plots with Skeletor, and it is... Skeletor's Gardening Podcast. It's put out by some of the people that are behind Smash Fiction, and it's great. Uh, I have a brief cameo in the first episode as the voice of Merman. So, uh, yeah, you should check that out. And now, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Eric Engelhard. Patsy Walker was a model and a comic book star. Now she's the best character in the Defenders by far. Moon Dragon and the Space Monks taught her space kung fu. She's got the cat's costume and a cool cape too. Evil doers beware. The Hellcats hiss, which is really her witty snark. Oh, here's a synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Eric. Defenders, number 65. November, 1978. Of ambition and giant amoebas. Written by David Anthony Kraft. Drotted by Don Perlin, inked by Bruce D. Patterson, lettered by Gene Simak, colored by Petra Goldberg, and edited by Bob Hall. Defensive lineup Valkyrie, Hellcat, Nighthawk, The Red Guardian, Black Goliath, Havoc, Hercules, Iron Fist, maybe technically The Blob, Porcupine, Sagittarius, Whirlwind, and codename fuckface god damn it previously in the defenders several months ago a sinister soviet fuckface named sergey modified his moniker to the clever codename codename sergey and stalked blackmailed and kidnapped former defender dr tanya balinski aka the red guardian Codename Fuckface then mind-controlled the object of his unwanted amorous affection into being his girlfriend, and performed dangerous scientific experiments, which bestowed radioactive powers upon both himself and his victim. The defenders headed to the USSR to oppose this unsubtly pseudonymed slimeball and his cerebrally subsumed sidekick, but Codename Bag of Shit and Tanya kicked their collective keisters. 
Just as codenamed Dipshit was about to destroy our heroes once and for all, Belinsky broke free of her mind control and told codenamed Crapwagon to fuck off forever. Hooray! Heartbroken and confused that the woman he had threatened, kidnapped, mentally subjugated, and used as a scientific guinea pig didn't love him, codenamed Garbage Fire hopped on his flying fart chair and fucked off to Siberia. He floated around and moped for a while until he got eaten by a giant radioactive amoeba that he had created back when he was regular old fuckface and not codename fuckface. Hooray! Tanya was quarantined by the Soviet government on account of her atomicness and her erstwhile non-teammates headed home. After their return stateside, our titular non-team was joined on their next few adventures by Valkyrie's new college classmate, Dollar Bill, a garrulous bearded film student. Unbeknownst to our apparently less than perceptive protagonist, Dollar Bill was filming the Defenders' exploits for a documentary. When Bill's student film inexplicably aired on national television, the scruffy cinephile included a segment where he appealed directly to any superheroes who might be watching and entreated them to meet the Defenders at their previously secret Long Island headquarters and sign up to join. Much to our hero's chagrin, the impromptu recruitment drive was an unprecedented success, and no fewer than 19 B and C list superheroes showed up and declared themselves to be Defenders. Shenanigans ensued. Nighthawk launched an unprovoked assault on his uninvited guests, and some of the so-called heroes launched an unprovoked assault on the Hulk. As a result of these skirmishes, the Hulk and several of the more sensible newcomers decided to fuck off and go away. By the Hulk and several of the more sensible newcomers! With their ranks slightly thinned out, things around the Defender's compound began to calm down a little bit. Iron Man stopped by to deliver some mail that had arrived for Hellcat at the Avengers Mansion, and mentioned that in the city a bunch of supervillains had been inspired by Bill's movie, and had started declaring themselves to be Defenders and looting the city. Because why not? The assembled heroes split into three teams and headed into the city to combat this cadre of counterfeit crime fighters. Kyle accompanied one crew, Valkyrie another, and Hellcat the third. Kyle's group got sick of his bullshit before they managed to encounter any villains and all quit. Bye, Kyle's team! Valkyrie and her heroes confronted a gang of nefarious ne'er-do-wells who had declared themselves to be defenders and were attempting to steal the Staten Island Ferry. In the poop deck Donnybrook that erupted, Valkyrie flew into a berserker rage and attacked friend and foe alike as she hallucinated that she was fighting trolls in Asgard. When Kyle caught up to the sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger, all the newly minted defenders who had been present for the fight, both hero and villain, had fled in terror. By 16 assorted B and C list costumed characters. While Kyle consoled a confused Valkyrie, Patsy and her horde of heroes bumped into a gang of colorfully clad crooks who had also proclaimed themselves to be defenders and were robbing the Diamond District. The good guy defenders chased the bad guy defenders around the city, destroying a subway car and a great deal of other public property in the process. Eventually, the two teams caught up with one another in a subway station, and a super-powered subterranean scuffle resulted. The Blob attempted to choke Hellcat to death, but when she was about to pass out, the freewheeling feline freedom fighter inadvertently released a powerful mental blast that knocked out everyone within a city block of the underground altercation and left Patsy with a splitting headache. Gadzooks! Now that the majority of the 41 costumed characters who graced the pages of this recent story arc have finally cleared out, what surprising new guest star will this issue offer us? What drastic new security measures will Nighthawk take to prevent further gate crashes at the Defender's no longer secret hideout? And does Codename Fuckface's presence in the defensive lineup mean that the consent agnostic creep is actually getting that unearned redemptive arc I feared he would? Stay tuned to find out.
Okay, so Millie the model. He nails a poorly made hand-painted sign above his front door. And no comment. Okay, one comment. Boo! Boo! I guess technically that might have been two comments. The heroic and villainous defenders who got KO'd by Hellcat's inadvertent mind blast are beginning to regain consciousness. None of them seem particularly stoked about what's just happened. Sagittarius, Porcupine, the Blob, and Whirlwind are hauled off to jail, while Hercules, Iron Fist, Havoc, and Black Goliath sulkily announce their retirement as defenders and mope out of the subway station. Bye, Sagittarius, Porcupine, the Blob, Whirlwind, Hercules, Iron Fist, Havoc, and Black Goliath. Lieutenant Chris Keating, the tough street-smart cop who first showed up in the Defenders number 44 and looks suspiciously like Jack Kirby, tells Hellcat that he's tired of superheroes destroying the city and intends to send the subway repair bill for this most recent debacle to the Defenders' now publicly known address. Fair enough. Kyle could probably find that kind of money by rustling around in the cushions of the adamantium sofa he probably purchased for some reason. Once everyone else has left, Patsy jumps into the fancy sports car she appropriated from Kyle. In the glove compartment, she finds the letter that Iron Man had hand-delivered to her a few issues ago. It's from her old friend, Millie the Model. Hellcat revs the engine and zooms off to meet Millie at the new modeling agency she has just opened. Contrary to what certain Beatles lyrics would suggest, back in the USSR, Dr. Tanya Belinsky, a.k.a. the Red Guardian, knows exactly how lucky she is. Not very. Ever since having nuclear powers thrust upon her by a codename Shit for Brains, she has been dangerously radioactive and has been in semi-voluntary isolation while scientists try to figure out if there's any way to cure her. The scientists in question have all but given up at this point. Tanya ruminates on her childhood and thinks about how all she ever wanted to do was be a good citizen of Russia and help people, and maybe have some friends. She despairs that due to codename fuckwit's intrusion into her life, these modest ambitions might be forever unfulfilled. These melancholy ruminations are interrupted by an announcement over the loudspeaker in her room. Codename self-aggrandizing jackass has been spotted in the company of a giant radioactive amoeba he once created for the government, and the Soviet forces are worried that these two monsters are teaming up to destroy the country. The army was hoping that maybe Tanya could use her new powers to go destroy this vile abomination that is an affront to all humanity. And maybe the giant amoeba too while she's at it. Belinsky agrees to lend a hand and flies off in search of codename Festering Pustule. Okay, so this next part is spread out over the course of the whole issue, but I fucking hate it, so I want to get it out of the way all at once. Anyway. Tanya finds codename Fuckface and quickly figures out that he's trying to stop the giant amoeba from destroying humanity, but is doing a bad job of it and is trapped inside the creature's tummy. She dives into the monster's belly and is briefly trapped in there herself. She and codename Shit for Brains manage to team up to extricate themselves from the mindless glob of science. They combine their powers and destroy the amoeba. Codename Worst Possible Object Lesson Ever mopes sulkily that because of all the kidnapping and stalking and blackmailing and mind-controlling and isolating her from the rest of humanity, Tanya probably doesn't like him very much. Tanya tells him that, on the contrary, she was a little miffed about that stuff before, but now that he barely didn't destroy the planet with his monumental hubris, she is in love with him, 
and they will live together forever in the irradiated wasteland their nuclear battle with the amoeba has just created. Boo! On a happier note, back on Long Island at the Defender's compound, Valkyrie hangs out with her flying horse Aragorn and worries about her recent bout of hallucinatory berserker rage. Kyle tells her it's nothing to worry about, but for some reason Val is hesitant to take mental health advice from a guy whose brain was literally sloshing around in a punch bowl a few months ago. Kyle's like, whatever, I'm gonna go paint a sign that says, superheroes, keep out, and hang it over the entrance. That ought to keep any superheroes out. Oh, Kyle, you poor sweet doofus. If years of working in the service industry have taught me anything, it's that nobody reads signs. That's not really what they're for. What signs are for is pointing to and sighing after a customer does the thing that both the sign and common sense indicate the customer should not do. Signs are much better at dispensing passive aggression than they are information. Anyway, since Kyle Richmond has clearly never worked in the service industry, he is very proud of himself for making a sign that would look right at home over a lemonade stand or a boy detective agency, and is thoroughly convinced that it will keep unwanted guests at bay. It's kind of cute. No sooner has the affluent avian enthusiast finished his handiwork than he hears screams coming from the stable. Valkyrie is having another episode and is flailing her sword around wildly, screaming at non-existent foes. Worried that Aragorn might fall prey to an errant sword stroke, Kyle pushes Val into a water trough, which seems to bring a temporary halt to her apparent hallucination. Confused and frightened by her actions, the Aesir Amazon collapses in exhaustion. Kyle carries her inside to the couch and promises to send for help. It isn't shown, but I bet on the way inside he pauses to insist that the unconscious warrior woman appreciate what a good good sign maker he is. Meanwhile, in Midtown Manhattan, Patsy heads into Glamour Girl Incorporated Modeling Agency to meet with her old friend Millie. It takes Millie a while to recognize her pal, because Patsy plum forgot that she was wearing her superhero duds. She quickly unmasks herself and asks Millie to please not reveal her secret identity. Man, why do her and Kyle even bother wearing masks to begin with? Do they just hate peripheral vision? Actually, there might be something to that. They're both pretty easily distracted, so maybe the masks serve the same function as the blinders on a carriage horse. They help keep them focused on the task in front of them and keep them from getting spooked. Okay, carry on. Millie and Patsy catch up on old times. Patsy seems a little bit sadder and more world-weary than we're used to seeing her, especially when the subject of her ex-husband Buzz is briefly broached. Millie offers her old buddy a modeling job, but Patsy declines and eventually heads back to Long Island. Across town on the campus of Empire State University, Dollar Bill visits his drama professor, Harrison Turk, and laments the fact that the Defenders seem to be annoyed with him in the aftermath of his unlicensed documentaries airing. Professor Turk, who is almost certainly the crazed hyper-violent campus vigilante, lunatic with a K, tells Bill not to worry. He has a plan to get the furry film fanatic back into the Defenders' good graces. Meanwhile, Valkyrie is convalescing on the couch as she awaits the doctor that Nighthawk has called for her. Kyle has stepped outside for a moment to repair the water trough that he dunked Val in, and probably paint a sign for her to hang over the mantle that says, Get Sane! Valkyrie stares into the flames of the fire, and is suddenly once again immersed in the throes of a pitched ancient Norse battle. 
She is surprised to see a familiar face that for some reason fills her with fear. We don't get to see who it is, but given her reaction, it's probably the bursar from ESU needing her to fill out another financial aid form. Chilling. Outside, Patsy pulls up in her Hellcat mobile and greets Nighthawk. The two have little time to exchange pleasantries, for minutes after Hellcat's return, there is a flash of light, and Aragorn, who had been grazing nearby, disappears with a resounding poof. Patsy and Kyle rush inside to check on Valkyrie, and find that she is gone as well, leaving only a note that informs them that their Asgardian ally is gone forever, and that they are not to seek her out. Huh. I guess Kyle should have used a bigger font when he painted his Get Sane sign. Joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am doing just fine. How are you? I'm doing okay, too. Glad to hear it. Likewise. You recovered from the, uh, perhaps overindulgence of the festive seasonal holiday? Oh, I wouldn't go that far. I think I'm just more so trying to power through it until the leftovers and things run out. Yeah, I think that's a good policy. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm not giving up. No. Not recovering. (laughs) Excellent. Just keep tamping down those feelings and that food. (laughs) Will do. It's the New England way. That's all I know. You want to talk about a comic book? Sure. What do you think of this comic book? Uh, if I could take out the codename Fuckface part. Yeah. I would. I would too. It would be a shorter book, but one that I would like much better. Mm -hmm. Man, fuck that guy. Fuck that storyline. Fuck that resolution to that storyline. And this is the end of it. We don't get any more from those characters. Which on one level I'm relieved about, but on the other level, man, that sucks. It's not how I thought Belinsky would go out. No. It doesn't really add up. It doesn't really make sense. No. I'm trying to force myself to do like the opposite of that adage. And I'm like, okay, Hub, calm down. Don't frown because it happened. Smile because it's over. I haven't heard that before somehow. That's pretty good. Yeah, but yeah, man, that is fucked up. Like, the character is totally robbed of agency, and to end the storyline with, well, she decided that the guy who was obsessed with her and kidnapped her and brainwashed her and did experimental surgery on her and stuck her in the middle of a nuclear explosion. And robbed from her the ability to fulfill her only secret desire which was to have friends yeah and to socially interact with anyone else but him ever again she decides that you know what he blew up that amoeba that he created so i guess he's not bad after all i guess i love him and we'll live together forever now and a radioactive wasteland the end happy ending (sighs) yeah fucking garbage Mm. just total fucking garbage and like you said, doesn't even really fit with, like, the new things that we get in this issue about her backstory right before that stuff happens. We had never really known that much about her origin, uh, and it turns out that she just always really wanted to help people and serve her country and to have friends. Ever since she was a tiny Christmas decoration Hummel figurine (laughs) from a Grimm's fairy tale woodblock cutting. Different times. (laughs) It really was. Like, her flashback is ridiculously over-the-top cutesy. Like, she really does look like, 
Yeah, like a woodblock cutting of an old Grimm's fairy tale or a Hummel figurine where she's like, did you grow up in like the mid 1800s and were a doll? Yeah, to the degree that it was comical, like I could feel like the Yakov Smirnoff voiceover <laughs> coming in, in Soviet Russia. Uh, I don't know what he would say, but... No, well, we neither of us has the comedic genius of Yakov Smirnov. A shame. That was by far my favorite part of the backup story. And they telegraphed it going forward, and I don't really want to dwell on it that much because we've talked about how we hoped this wasn't where this story was going. And it's exactly where it went. It's a redemptive arc for Fuckface without him really changing anything about himself. Nothing at all except moping more. Yeah, and whining more. And being rewarded for it. Yep, being rewarded for all of his bullshit and essentially uh, sending the message that if you like someone, then, you know, stalk and kidnap them and they'll resent it at first, but they'll come around. Mm-hmm. Wow, that sucks. <laughs> I guess the difficulty in obtaining a giant radioactive amoeba mitigates maybe the impact that that bad moral would have, but... Yeah. It's not good enough. Yeah, I mean, that's the other part of it, right? Like You do you, have you, to you do fight have to... a giant amoeba that is threatening the world that you yourself created. Yeah. So by doing an imperfect job of cleaning up your own mess in a way that still jeopardizes an awful lot of people and makes an entire region of a country uninhabitable, that's, I guess, the other ingredient to this mm -hmm. shit souffle of a relationship that you're trying to bake with this recipe. Hmm. Fuck that guy. Disappointing. Yeah. And I'm done talking about him. Fair. So some other stuff happens. I have gotten into the habit of taking like super high level cliffs notes of what I think is being set up in these issues. Okay. And uh, maybe I'll run that by you to make sure I'm not missing anything. Let's take a look at it. What okay. you got? So in addition to what we just talked about that we don't need to talk about anymore, mm -hmm. we do have, and I'm not sure where this one is going, but Hellcat going and visiting one of her old modeling buddies. Yep. And learning that she was going to get hitched to Buzz and then didn't. Oh, she did. Or she did. And I don't know how that resolved. Did they explain that to us yet? They haven't in this. I can't remember if it comes up later in the Defenders or if it comes up in the Avengers, but her old childhood romance buzz who she did end up getting married to was abusive and became the super villain mad dog uh and is a real jerk hole he made that fortified wine yup that's how evil he is oh man <laughs> high schoolers all across this nation are feeling the perils of mad dog yeah or they were back in the day i don't know if that's still a thing probably hmm yeah, the whole Millie the Model subplot I actually find really interesting. Millie the Model was one of Marvel's longest-running titles. It ran from 1940 to 1972, wow. but it was a parallel line of comic books, which is where Patsy came from, too. It was their comedy romance line of comic books, and Millie the Model started off being one of several characters who were invented that were for, like, Young working gals. Mm. So there was Millie the model, I think Tilly the typist, Nellie the nurse, and Millie the model was the one that took off the most. Patsy was from the same line of comics. It was illustrated in a kind of Archie comic style, a Dan DiCarlo style. And hers was younger. She was a high school person. She had a rival named Hetty something. It's got to be an alliteration of some sort. If You'd think, but I actually don't think it is. Oh. 
Like, Patsy Walker isn't either. I guess you have to be the headliner of the comic to have an alliterative Well, Patsy was the headliner of her comic. It was a different comic. She just didn't have a job yet. So that started off being like, they mm. were rival friends, like uh, Benny and Veronica type thing. Mm. And Hetty was kind of a kind of a jerk. And that was a high school one. And then they graduated from high school in, I think, 64. And then from there until about 1970, they were also young working gals. And I think they interacted some with Millie, but not a ton. But then they decided to fold all of those into the Marvel Universe proper. Because previously they hadn't had any real interactions. And I find the idea really interesting. And the way they retconned it to try to make it work, I think, is interesting. But it, it also is kind of bizarre because like the rules of like a cartoony archie style romance comedy comic being folded into what is like bronze age era to a certain extent grim and gritty marvel universe it would be like if i don't know like the popples or the wuzzles showed up in an x-men comic book you know i mean they were both technically published by different imprints of marvel at the time Mm. but it's kind of jarring and you don't really expect to see that Mind you, I do like the results because for a while, Millie the model ended up being roommates with Jean Grey from the X-Men <laughs> and Misty Knight from Power Man and Iron Fist. <laughs> and I would love to watch a sitcom about that. Wow. Yeah. Millie the model, Jean Grey, like doing her telekinetic, telepathic, this is pre-Phoenix days, but still totally badass crime fighter shit. And then Misty Knight with her bionic arm, like, I think she was patterned to look like Pam Greer, mm-hmm. and she punched out a shark one time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That That's would be a fun sitcom. dynamite. I bet they got into quite a few hijinks. Indeed. Wow. Okay. So that is fascinating. It still leaves me a little bit puzzled about where that kind of subplot was going. I felt like the only reason they put it in there was so that they could have another thing that called out um, the word ambition. Yeah. Because that was like the theme of this. That was supposed to be the through line and it didn't really fit for any of them. I mean, I guess Millie was ambitious, mostly in that exchange that they were having. It mostly just seemed like she wasn't listening and was being kind of a bad friend. Like, she was very chipper and very like, hey, everything's great. There were a lot of things about that interaction that were kind of weird. It was like Patsy had to give her some like self-deprecating code words to proceed to the next stage of the conversation. They had an exchange where Millie's like, you're as beautiful as ever. And Patsy says, I'm ugly. Millie says, you're still skinny. Patsy says, I'm fat. Millie says, you haven't changed a bit. And then Patsy says, neither have you. And it's like it's this like ritualized self-deprecation thing that they have to go through in order to proceed to the conversation, which from what I've heard about modeling is kind of a way that, like, they bond with each other, maybe. It reminds me of the skit in, um, what is the... Oh, the yeah. Girls the girls with the, with the cell phones who one of them doesn't The understand. brunch conversation where they don't understand the rules of the, of selfie posting. Yeah. The, uh, I think you should leave. Yeah, yeah. That show is so funny. It is super funny. But that's, it's, so when I read that, I was like, okay, I can read it two ways. One, they're doing a kind of a banter that two old friends have, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Or Millie is just really being mean to Patsy, which makes me not... No, Millie's not being mean to Patsy. Like, she's saying nice things. Patsy's being mean to herself. I know, but then at the end, Millie says, you haven't changed a bit after she says she's ugly and fat. Fair. I did, Yeah, I totally didn't read it that way. But throughout their conversation, Millie is just having this power of positive thinking 
huge grin on her face, and it's kind of disconcerting to me. I don't think it's the effect that it's supposed to have, but yeah, it reminds me of at one point Lisa had an employer who, whenever you asked him how he was doing, he would say, never had a bad day in my life. I don't trust that. No, I always was very tempted to just like kick him in the nuts and say, still? (laughs) I never did. Oh, that's good. So I'm just bragging there. Yeah, yeah. Good job. But I don't know. When she's trying to convince Patsy to get back into modeling, she's like, I couldn't go back to modeling. She's like, why not? It'll be like the old days. And Patsy is clearly like feeling kind of melancholic and self-reflective. And Millie is not engaging her on that level at all. She is very much in the, everything's fine and it's only going to be better. I'm going through some shit right now. Well, don't worry about that. It'll be great. Look at me. I run a modeling agency. It's called Glamour Girls Incorporated. So Patsy says, I've seen so much since I left the field. And Millie's like, but you could see so much more, Patsy. The world, Alcapulco, Monaco, Rome, Paris, even Moscow, Peking, the sky's the limit. And Patsy has seen all of that shit traveling the world as a superhero and went through kung fu training on the moons of Saturn and shit. With both Patsy's mood and that specific conversation, I really, really wanted her to reply, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attacks <laughs> ships on fire over the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All these moments will be lost like tears in the rain. And I, if she did, I think Millie would just be like, Great! It sounds like you've had some fun experience working in the rain. Maybe you could model a new line of umbrellas. <laughs> Patsy would be like, dude, you didn't even get my reference. Come on. I know that movie's not out yet, but... <laughs> the flame that burns twice as bright lasts half as long. Tell me about it. Bang. Let's go modeling! Woohoo! <laughs> what was your next plot point? So I had two more that I made note of. One was what the story ends with, which I think is the the bigger one, which is Val sure. going off to fight an extra dimensional battle, maybe? With herself or her soul? So who do you think she sees in the flames? Because she says she sees somebody and that she recognizes. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it had the feel of a weird flashback thing. So I was like, maybe it's the Black Knight. Didn't They didn't have some interaction in the past? They interacted a little bit. She thought she was in love with him because of the Enchantress, Mm. but then she wasn't, and she was cool with it when he left to go fight in the fucking Crusades, because fuck that guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was like, it's in the flame, so is it Dormammu? Is that, like, who she has to fight? Oh, shit, that would be a big... It would be a big big brawl. It's dealing with her increasing, like, berserker-style, sorcerously-induced mental instability... So part of me thinks that it has something to do with Lunatic. Because he... Because he seems to be like an avatar of madness, I think, Mm. in certain ways. And she is behaving kind of like him when she is having her flashes of Berserker rage. That sounds like a good name for like a power metal band. Avatar of Madness. Oh yeah, it totally does. You can take that if you want. I don't know if I have the chops. Well, you can learn them. All right. Um, Herman Lee, look out. Yeah, who's that? Oh, he's a guitar man from Dragon Force. Ooh, he's good real, to know. He's real good. Okay. I was wondering if it was maybe the Enchantress, or the other possibility would be, uh, what's his name, Carl? The the unnamed guy with three heads? Did we name him Carl? I'm embarrassed to say I've forgotten. Well, I mean, he's uh, nameless, so what can you do? Okay. <laughs> I guess Carl didn't stick. 
I'm going to call him Carl from now on, like whether Carl. we were before or not. Yeah. I know we gave him a fairly banal name, but I can't really remember what it was. It was Glenn. We named the nameless one Glenn. So it might be one of those. I did notice when she is having her berserker rage, she is wearing her old outfit instead mm-hmm. of her new outfit. Yep. So part of me is a little bit nervous that this is all just a storyline to change her outfit yet again. Oh. Which honestly would not surprise me all that much. Yeah. I did get the sense that it was a, a, a past thing because of the outfit change. But yeah, you're right. It could just be a, enough readers wrote in and said, we miss the boob armor. Yeah, we want boob cones. Yep. Very impractical armor. We've discussed that before. Mm-hmm. It's just going to drive any blows directly to the breastplate. Mm-hmm. Sternum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, crack your sternum. Bad news. Yeah, bad idea. What was the other? Yeah, so the other one is we see Dollar Bill with a Professor, probably lunatic, mm-hmm. uh, saying, hey, he needs to get back into the good graces of the Defenders because it's finally pierced his bubble of no consequences. Yeah. That uh, he did a bad job and they're mad at him. <laughs> yeah, and Professor Turk is like, well... I have a plan for that, which makes me very nervous, because that guy has a soul patch. Yep. And uh, they inserted a lot of, um, what's the word for, like, when you say, er, like a pause, where you're trying to collect your thoughts in the middle of a sentence? I think those are disfluencies. When he's saying that, he says it like you said it. He's like, I, er, mm, have a plan to help you with that. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me that he's up to some sinister shenanigans there. Sinanigans. Yeah, some sinanigans. Ooh, that sounds fun. Dude, sounds do we have to open a nightclub now? I was going to say, that's a bad nightclub. It's like if Chili's... <laughs> Chili's opened a nightclub, they'd call it sinanigans. I mean, I think it would probably be more... I mean, phonetically at least, like if Bennigan's opened one. Oh, that's true. You would just but, have to eat a lot of pie there. That's a pie place, right? Well, and Professor Turk would be totally on board for that because in his house, he has a pie tree. He has a tree that grows slices of pie and cans of soup. Oh, no, that's not a real tree. That's just bad pop art. Oh, that makes more sense. He has a lot of very odd bad pop art in his apartment. Or, or, he has a tree that grows slices of pie. Or he's planning to open the shenanigans. Oh, boy. <laughs> and he's just working out the design ideas for the Yeah, you gotta put that crazy crap on the wall if you want to compete with TGI Fridays. <laughs> Need a lot of flair. <laughs> I think you might be right. I think that might be his sinister plan to get the defenders to forgive Dollar Bill. Bring him into shenanigans on uh, Friday. Mm-hmm. We got a happy hour. We got a lot of appetizers. Yep. And go-go um, go dancing. S'mores shots. S'more shots, torch singers. <laughs> oh, man. I'd like to displace more and we more. Gotta, let's get the business plan going. <laughs> you guys want to get in on the ground floor, listeners? Send $50 to <laughs> Titan of the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. Franchise just writes itself. Yeah, as soon as we open that restaurant, you'll start seeing dividends. Mm-hmm. Until then, we'll just keep that $50 safe for you sure <laughs> that's a good it's a good evil chuckle yeah. yeah i've been working on it yeah i don't know what turk's plan is there i do know that he gave ledge a big stack of drama work 
that I was trying to figure out what that is. He's the drama professor, Mm -hmm. but he gives him like just these reams of paper, like a stack the size of a couple of phone books of what he calls drama work for Ledge to do. I wonder if it's just like elocution exercises or... I thought they were like uh, scripts to learn, doesn't... Or is uh, Dollar Bill just making a crack about Hamlet? And maybe, maybe, maybe they're going to go... actual Hamlet. It might just be Hamlet. It seems weird to call, if he's got to rehearse scenes for a play, to just call it, here's your drama homework. Like, just say, here's some scripts. Maybe it's like, ways to fake crying. Mm. It's like, put spit under your eye. Yeah. Isn't that one of them? Yeah, that's a good one. Because that's sad. People are going to be like, Just trying to put spit under your eyeball. You're going to be like, this is pathetic. And then you start crying. Actually, for real. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a list of sad things. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't a real pie tree. (laughs) Just says that like 700 times. Like, all work is and no play makes Jack a dull boy from The Shining. Mm. That's probably what it is. That sounds about right for Professor Lunatics. Yeah. Also, fuck that guy. Also, fuck that guy because he's giving that drama work to the guy that he put in the hospital. Yeah, after, was it crumbling his skull? Cracking or crushing? It was something that implied that his skull was not a skull anymore when he was done with it. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, and then giving him a bunch of homework. Man, insult to injury. Mm-hmm. And then Dollar Bill calls him Sticks because he's on crutches, I assume. He had, I think, always called him Stickoid or Stickman. Oh, because he's tall and thin. Yeah. Hmm. Because they have kind of like a Laurel and Hardy vibe going. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. I just got it. I I could see it clear as day. (laughs) I watched a lot of those when I was a kid for some reason. Mm -hmm. Huh. That's always more of an Abbott and Costello, man. Oh, those guys are good, too. Yeah. I don't know. Any good slapstick. Yeah, I get it. I like that Laurel and Hardy were always pals. Mm -hmm. That was nice. We also do have what might turn into something. I don't know if it is. It's set up as though it might, but as we've seen, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. With uh, the return of Lieutenant Chris Keating. Do you remember him at all? He's the, I feel uh, like I should. But he's I... the police guy who looked kind of like Jack Kirby when he was drawn before. Who uh, isn't that crazy about the Defenders. He's a tough... I want to say no-nonsense, but it's the Marvel Universe, so he's a tough, some-nonsense cop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, less nonsense than most, perhaps, cop. But uh, when he rolls in here, he uh, he very much is over the Defenders bullshit. Tells them that he had an officer trace their address when they saw the dollar bill special. I wonder if he means that literally because they did post the address on the screen. So maybe he did have just an officer hold a piece of paper up to the screen uh-huh. and trace over it. That could be, yeah. So I had the thought when basically he says, yeah, we had them trace the address and we're going to send you guys the bill. It answers the question that we had from the last issue and just in general, which is when all this destruction happens, is it the taxpayer's burden? Like, who deals with it? You get the impression that it always had been, but Chris Keating has a new plan. And it's to send the bill to a certain Kyle Richmond, which I was tickled by. I was too, although I feel like it sets a dangerous precedent. I have mixed feelings about this. Because on the one hand, I mean, fuck Kyle. Mm -hmm. And I do understand that it does seem to be the general policy in these comics, which we talked about last issue, that 
it is fine if superheroes destroy public property in the process of protecting private property, which is bullshit and is like hurts the taxpayer and protects the wealthy. But specifically with the Defenders thing, I don't know, man, it does seem as as much as I am not a fan of Kyle, it does seem a little bit unfair that anybody's saying, I'm a Defender, before they break something, he just gets the bill. Yeah, really, it should be Dollar Bill. Yeah. Who has to deal with that. He's also quite wealthy. It's Maybe true. in the Marvel Universe, the rich pay their fair share of taxes, and so it balances out. I mean, that was kind of the case in the 70s anyway. There was a More higher, so anyway. higher rate. Yeah. yeah. Although, I mean... I definitely wouldn't get into any real supervillain shenanigans and just say I'm a defender, but I can see myself having Kyle pick up some bills for me at restaurants. Mm. Like they bring you the bill and be like, I'm a defender. Also put 20% down there for yourself. You know what? Away! 25. <laughs> yeah. You've done good work, sir. What did you think of the art in this issue? It was good. I liked the way that Hellcat was drawn. Mm-hmm. Although I, I do have to take umbrage with her i just uh, the disguises thing man the secret identities nobody does a good job of it she shows up like if you're gonna go see iron man drops off a letter that's like hey your friend wants to see you sure and you don't want your friend to know that you're a superhero change into street clothes before yeah, you go why? visit your friend okay so she got the mail at the avengers mansion for patsy or for hellcat because millie doesn't know that she's hellcat and if she doesn't know that she's Hellcat, how did she know she was staying at the Avengers Mansion? Oh my god, she must have told Iron Man yeah. who she is. And that's what unleashed this chain of Or events. Kyle just puts out a Defender's newsletter that just has everybody's secret identity. <laughs> okay, I understand. He's very bad at secret identities. If nothing else, she at least picked it up from him. You think he just put out a... Just He just blew everybody's cover? He's like, and if you want to send real fan mail to the real... Person behind the mask. Yeah, Pat's probably. Walker, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But anyway, she goes in and she takes off her mask and Millie's like, oh, Patsy, it's you. Yeah, that, that is weird. That had never really occurred to me that if she doesn't know that she's Hellcat, did she want to talk to Hellcat or did she want to talk to Patsy? Why would she want to talk to Hellcat? I mean, she does say she's setting up a super gala mm-hmm. and that she's always been curious and wanted to know how superhero men were. Oh, yeah, maybe she was sending it to, to Hellcat because it showed she up. She was at just the like, Avengers. hey, hook me up with some super dudes. Yeah. You seem fun. We can have a gal's night out. Yeah, I bet that's I bet that's the story. Yeah, because Hellcat does say, they don't call me the hunk loving Hellcat for nothing. It's pretty fun. She's fun. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the art because I didn't recognize off the top of my head the names uh don perlin we talked a little bit about last issue he did the inks last issue Mm -hmm. and he's gonna have a longer defenders run later uh he started off in the golden age as an artist worked on all kinds of stuff i like him a lot uh and the inks are now done by bruce patterson who i'm a little bit less familiar with uh he's listed in this as bruce d he's generally listed as bruce d patterson oh okay i was wondering who bruce d was yeah Uh, chuck's brother Hmm? chuck D. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I think overall, really solid job with the art. Um, I did notice he draws Tanya when she gets cosmicked up. She's a real jukebox hero. Got stars in her eyes. <laughs> but overall, uh, no, I really like the way he does this. I think he actually may have worked on the older Patsy or Millie the Model series. The main person who did most of the Patsy Walker art was Al Jaffe. 
who you might remember from Mad, Mad Magazine. Magazine. Yeah, who did the fold-in at the back, too. Oh, far out. But, yeah, Don Perlin, uh, I think he worked in, like, romance and crime comics for a while in the Golden Age, as well as superhero stuff, and kept drawing right up until, I think, the early 90s when he passed away. Hmm. But, yeah, I like him. I like this art. I think it's good. It's clean. I miss Sal Buscema, but good stuff. Yeah. We talked a little bit about the title and how they tried to shoehorn in the concept of ambition into each of these stories, and it didn't work for any of them, and it also didn't work for the title because they put an extra word in that made it not an alliteration anymore. Of ambition and giant amoebas. I feel like an editor got his hands on that who didn't get what they were going for. Mm-hmm. And was like, well, it's a pretty big amoeba. It's not just a regular amoeba. You got to put a, a modifier in there. Uh, let's say a giant amoeba. But of ambition and amoeba kind of makes sense. Of ambition and giant amoeba, yeah, it's more descriptive, but it doesn't work alliteratively. And also, it kind of highlights the fact that none of these stories are really about ambition. I guess the argument for Codename Fuckface is uh, being about ambition is closer. He says he has the ambition to earn her affection. And, and he, he talks... Does. Well, no, he talks about the <sighs> the reason... <laughs> no, Barf City. He talks about the reason for everything that happened that went sideways. Oh, yeah, but, it was all his hubris and shit. Yeah, so it was his ambition to rule the world or whatever. And Tanya's ambition to help out her fellow homo figurines ever since she was a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, and... Millie must have displayed some ambition before to start her own modeling agency. But that's a pretty flimsy connective tissue. Yep. I mean, in any storyline, people are going to have goals. And that seems to be the way they're using the word ambition in this. I don't know. I wasn't crazy about that. Yeah, for a through line, it's a little weak. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing I did like. Hmm. Kyle's sign. (laughs) That shit (laughs) cracked me up so much. Yeah. I kind of enjoyed Kyle in this issue in a way that I normally don't. I enjoy him in this in kind of a similar way to the way that I enjoy Jack Norris' super spy story Mm. that we once got. Mm -hmm. And I would love that to be a team-up. Like, that could be a B feature in the sitcom of Misty Knight and Millie the Model and Jean Grey living together. You get a backup feature that is... Kyle and Jack, bad at stuff they think they're good at. And I would love that shit. And it's like, there's this constant tension between them because they each think they're the smart one and the pretty one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you see Kyle just like being really proud of himself that he made a sign that looks like a fucking lemonade stand that a little kid made that says, superheroes scram. He's like, I did it by myself. Because, you know, he grew up in the billionaire bubble. And as long as there is a visual illustration of the fact that he is wrong about how great he is, I would really enjoy reading that shit. It could be funny. Yeah. It is a really goofy looking sign. And when he was going to do that, like he left pa- he left Val in the barn where she ended up attacking Aragorn, which was... I was scared for, for that horse. That poor horse. Boy, he's been through so much. Ugh. I didn't realize that he had been injured as badly as he had when Lunatic made him fall into a spiderweb hammock. Mm -hmm. Saying that out loud, I should have realized that he was injured. He's a horse. (laughs) Can't go well. They they do not mix with hammocks, as we have both learned. Huh? (laughs) Did I forget an awesome and funny story? 
a tragic one. Oh, no. <laughs> Horses and hammocks, they just don't mix. I might need to change my host rules. <laughs> <laughs> but when Kyle went off and left Val alone with Aragorn, he was like, I've got some work to do on the porch. And I was like, what? Kyle doesn't do work? Mm-hmm. Especially not outdoors work. What is going on? Is he going to take up whittling? I hope so. Because I couldn't think of another kind of porch work that could be done. It's not the only instance in this issue of him doing outside work, though. Well, he says he's going to fix the water trough. Mm-hmm. We don't see him fix the water trough. I think he just goes out and whittles. <laughs> maybe. I think maybe he just, like, paints another sign that says, Broken! And puts it on top of the water trough. Keep out. Yeah. Oh, I bet he says, uh, water, keep in, and faces it towards the water trough. He has a fine career ahead of himself, painting signs for lemonade stands for children and clubhouses, and maybe eventually he can uh, make the sign for Encyclopedia Brown. No case too small. He's got to work up to it, but... I think he'll get there. Yeah. I got confidence in him. Hmm. For maybe the first time. That's big of you. Thank you. Well, Corey, hmm. before we get into the minutiae... Yes. Mail call! Oh, goody! I went to the P.O. Box the other day, and uh, we got a few things. Nice. One of them, we have a postcard from Australia from our friend Lucas. Oh, it's got a scary bird. Uh-huh. He says, hi, Hub and Corey. You'll be interested to know that this bird is called a gala, and that's also an Australian slang word for fool, clown, or idiot. So, first of all, I like that already. Mm-hmm. People calling birds idiots. I am on board. Do you remember when I saw that stupid seagull and I called it an idiot? Because it was trying to fly against the wind while getting anywhere. which time? <laughs> Who can choose a favorite? <laughs> he goes on to say, so if you saw someone acting like a real beast boy, who could in theory turn into a gala, you could say, what a flaming gala. Even if he was like a cow or something. The mm. more you know. Thanks, Lucas. Yeah. It's nice to hear from you. And uh, also, Lucas's penmanship is on point. Yep. Nice, and that nice is writing. a really cool picture of a bird. That's going to go on the wall. Awesome. Next up, we have a card. Let's see who it's from. Oh, scary fish for oh, Christmas. Wow. Looks like it's holding some mistletoe in front of it. Mm-hmm. This is from Trisha in Brooklyn. She says, happy holidays. Seem like the appropriate time of year to thank you for your podcast. She points out that the world is uh, pretty crappy right now, uh, but says that listening to the podcast makes her laugh and forget all of that for a little while, which is really touching to hear. Thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, she also likes the haunted disco barn and thinks that we're great. Yeah, well, shit, we think you're great, Trisha. Yeah, thank you. Also, your penmanship is on point, too. Wow. I've been writing notes with the comic books that I mail out for our $10 and up donors, mm. and it usually ends up being, like, a little bit over a page, and uh, writing that much in cursive, my penmanship is nowhere near the level of our fans. No. This is a, it's a small sample, but it's impressive. It really is. Nice work, you guys. Probably had those special Zaner Blosser pencils. I used to hold the pen when I was a kid, like, uh, in my fist. Oh. And the teacher said I shouldn't do that, even though I was pretty good at it. Is that those, uh, triangle things they put on? Yeah, that's part of that. I think it's called the Zaner Blosser method. Oh, yeah, I had those triangle things, too. Yeah, it didn't really work for me. Hmm. We also have a package that is from friend of the show, Josh Bickford. It's uh, 
Let's see what that's about. Oh, man, this is exciting. I know. Well packed. Oh, oh, oh. oh, wow. Looks like what we got here is a big stack of Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew comics. <laughs> Pretty sweet. And uh, we've got a card as well, which says, thank you, Mucho. And he wants to uh, thank us for another year of laughs that our podcast gives him and Lucas such joy each year. And he hopes we like the comics that he hasn't read since they came out in the 80s. I'm looking forward to reading some Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew. Nice. I like that stuff. Reminds me of uh, when I used to be really into Peter Porker the Spectacular Spider-Ham when I was a kid. I remember. So... I think that'll be really fun. Thanks so much, guys. It's great to hear from you. And if you would like to send us anything, that's uh, Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. And speaking of people we're grateful for, Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Yeah. So, Corey. Yep. Let's start this off with Behold or Be Gone. Okay. In this issue, we see that Millie the Model has opened a modeling agency called Glamour Girls, Inc. If there were a brother company to that that was owned by Corey Glover of Living Color <laughs> called Glamour Boys, Inc., would you want to work for him? Uh, I don't know. Tell me a little bit more about the work environment. Well, I mean, all we know for sure about it is that it's run by Corey Glover. So, I mean, the plus side, kind of obvious. Uh, it's a job. Probably pays pretty good. He's a successful man. Seems fair. You could talk about, to him about, like, being named Corey. I guess the downside is it's probably a cult of personality. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that is a potential downside. But, I mean, like, he's probably got stories about, like, being on the set of Platoon. Mm -hmm. He's an interesting guy. I bet Vernon Reed stops by sometimes. You could pick up some guitar tips from him. Be pretty cool. Could learn about the founding of the Black Rock Coalition. I mm -hmm. think he was a original he was. part of that. So, uh, yeah, where, where are you standing? Where, where are you f feeling on this? Why? Well, the camera doesn't always like me, so I probably would be more comfortable behind it than sure. in front of it. But I also do need a job technically right I now. Know, so I know, I know. I'm gonna say, sign me up. Let's okay. give it a let's give it a shot. Okay, so that's a behold for you. It's a tough decision for me. Um, I do also need a job. Corey Glover seems like a good guy. I'm a little bit nervous. After Living Color, he did have a solo act. And I would worry that he might want me to call him Reverend Daddy Love. Oh. I would be very uncomfortable with that. <laughs> Probably just Daddy for short. Wouldn't be less uncomfortable <laughs> with that. No combination of those words would I be particularly comfortable with. Reverend Love, Reverend Daddy, Daddy Love, Daddy Reverend. Nope. Yeah. But mostly I think what it comes down to for me is, I mean... I know Glamour Boy. I'm fierce. I know Glamour Boy. I'm fierce. So, I'm afraid, for me, it, it has to be a be gone. Because oh. I know Glamour Boy. I'm fierce. Presupposes that those things are mutually exclusive and with me behind the camera, look out! <laughs> Tough but fair. And yet, we have one... Behold! And one... 
be gone for working for Corey Glover's modeling agency, Glamour Boys, Inc. I saw Living Color play a couple years ago. Yeah? How were they? They were good. They, I know they had like a reunion like 2004. They've been together since then. I don't really know the history, uh, but they, they opened for Aerosmith. Oh, how was that? It was not a show that I would have expected to go to. It was sort of one of those things where my buddy was like, hey, you want to see this? And I thought, oh, why not? That'll be fun. They played music that was all the stuff that I remembered yeah. from when I was a kid, including their hit Cult of Personality. Oh, I thought you meant Aerosmith again. Sorry. Ah, no, no, Living Color. <clears throat> oh, Aerosmith also did that. They also played Cult of Personality? No, just the hits from oh, okay. back in the day. I will say, for a lot of like bigger touring acts like that, I have been impressed by bands that I'm borderline okay with. Just there is something about when you've been putting on a show and traveling and performing as a band for that long, you get good at it. Yeah, they were actually really amazing performers, although I did have a moment when St- Steven Tyler jumped up on the piano. I was like, oh, he's going to get hurt. He's oh, so old. He is very old. He but, should worry about his hip. Yep. Fortunately, I think I think maybe that's why he has so many scarves around his microphone. He can use them as slings if he needs to, wow. like if he breaks an armor. I guess you can't put your hip in a sling. Anyway, be gone! Behold. What was your favorite sound effect? Ah, it's so nice to have sound effects again after the uh, So many. Titans. Yeah, some really good ones. Most of the better ones came from, there were two main sources of sound effect in this. One was Tanya and Fuckface's fight with the giant amoeba. And there were also a few when Val was freaking out and Kyle was subduing her. Mm-hmm. I just wrote down page 23 where there are like seven really great sound effects. I think of those, my favorite is Zots, uh, which is a cosmic blast. Most of these sounds are cosmic blasts hitting amoeba, but you had Zots, Ziz, Fwask, Bzaak, Fwoomp, and S a couple of times. Mm-hmm. For me, Zots or Bzaak, but both pretty great. Yeah, I loved how the sound effects really did capture the electrical quality of a blast hitting something kind of slimy. Mm-hmm. They, it had that sound to it, which was I thought was super cool. I had 23, page 23. Also, my favorite out of that was the whoop, which whoop. is the noise of a giant radioactive amoeba falling on a codename fuckface. Well, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty onomatopoeic. Yeah. Sartorially speaking... What element of fashion did you feel was most worthy of note? Man, Millie's blouse with the, uh, I don't know if it's a ascot or a, the, it's like a fluffy, billowy... Yeah, it's like a ruffle Scarf thing? It, she is dressed like Prince from Purple Rain. Yes. Like, almost exactly. Yes. Like, I would not be that surprised if that is where Prince got the idea. It is a purple... <laughs> Jacket that has some like even little like epaulets down at the at the I guess they're not epaulets because they're not on the shoulder, but like decorative thingies. Yeah, little decorative thingies hanging off of it around the pockets, and it is over a pink shirt that is like very blousey and ruffled, and then has like undone French cuffs that are coming out of the sleeves. Like she straight up is just dressed like Prince. It's awesome. It is awesome, and she carries it off well because you know what? She's a model. She knows what she's doing. Yes. Yeah, that was mine too. Did you have any other fashion worth noting? We already talked about it a little bit, but on page three, uh, the flashback Hummel dolls. Yeah. It's pretty cute. It, it kind of is. 
as like Were you freaked out by it? A little bit. Like, why is that toddler dressed in a little uniform? <laughs> like, he's got like a little police hat on. Like a little little communist guy. Yeah, I guess. Junior. It policeman. like predate. It looks like a look that would predate communism, though. That's the thing about like that. Like, it's like she grew up in like a Pushkin story or something. Anyway, those are the two I had: Prince and the Prince and the Pushkin. <laughs> the Prince and the Pushkin. What was your pie not made out of steel? What words did you like best in this issue? Mine was short and sweet, but it cracked me up, and it's a new phrase that I hope to incorporate into my lexicon. When Hellcat is referring to, or she's chatting with Kyle about, like, hey, the defenders that were on your, you know, your team or your contingent, like, how'd it go? And her way of saying that they quit was to say that they had all pooped out. Yeah. So when somebody quits something from now on or just doesn't show up, they've pooped out. Tough but fair. I like that too. There was some fun language in here. I liked when Tanya would say, I think at one point she exclaimed, by Lenin, which is not one that I had heard before. Uh, I, I think I had heard Lenin's ghost as an exclamation, but never just the very concept of Lenin. Mm. I thought that was interesting. Patsy had some jumping Jehoshaphats. Yep. But I think my favorite was from... The very beginning of the comic book, when all of the bad guy and good guy defenders alike are recovering from Patsy's mind blast. And Porcupine says, <laughs> please, officer, take the Porcupine to a nice, safe jail. Mm -hmm. Porcupine is not a guy who has previously generally referred to himself in the third person like that. But I feel like the mental blast was strong enough that it just hulkified his language center mm. and i kind of appreciated that and i liked how different he was and how just like vulnerable porcupine seemed especially because he's just such a goofy looking guy and was such a jerk when he was into est and shit mm -hmm. so that was my favorite language good. Good i liked that like i would like a pie or not made out of steel maybe like it was growing on a tree in a shenanigans nightclub <laughs> every issue of a defender's comic has at least one character who has to act out of character in a way that forwards the plot to paraphrase the fat boys from crush groove they just got to be a sucker in this issue who was your sucker yeah so initially what seemed the obvious choice to me was Bolinsky because uh she goes off with codename fuckface yeah but then i realized the only reason that she would do that is because she's still somewhat brainwashed or, or something in some part of her personality. Yeah. Like, otherwise it just doesn't make sense. Unless she's doing it in what she views as a heroic sort of thing to keep him from the rest of the world. Oof, I hate that. Which, I don't like either of those. So what I went with was Kyle, because he says at some point when Val's having, like, her flashback sickness... Oh, man, she seemed really out of it before. I totally wanted to take her to the hospital, but she said no, and so I didn't follow my gut, and I totally should have. And that doesn't sound like Kyle. He would have... Followed his gut? He would have followed his gut, and against Val's will, if humanly possible, taken her to that hospital. Yeah, I, I get that. I still had Tanya as my choice, just because I don't think that's her. Maybe it is residual mind control. Maybe it is... He is literally her only option for companionship because of what he did to her. She cannot be around another human being. But she's 
generally got more of like a, a can-do gumption attitude than that. I feel like she could seek out like a Reed Richards or or even do the research herself. She is a brilliant doctor and scientist. Um, and if you're a doctor in the Marvel Universe, then you can do any kind of doctoring. So, I don't know. I had Tanya as my... Yeah, it makes As sense. my sucker. She also does kind of flip-flop where in one panel he's like, I love you. And she just like leaves. She yeah. just like flies off without saying anything. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, thank goodness. And But then later she Yeah, goes she back says in. that he earned her a... F- bah! I have to go puke for a hundred hours now. I'll be back in a second. Oh, that's going to hurt your yeah. esophagus. Mm-hmm. And I'm back from puking after a hundred hours to ask you, Corey... Who in this issue was the best defender, and who was the worst offender? Okay, let's start with best. Okay, let's. You may have mixed feelings about it, but I chose to believe that the Red Guardian's choice was for the benefit of the whole world to stop it from being plunged into nuclear destruction. She's going to keep codename Fuckface in the uh, the polluted valley or whatever, where they are. And that is really, the, like, people say death is the ultimate sacrifice, but I think... Spending time with Fuckface is the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, and due to the force of will for the greater good that it took her to, to do that noble act, she got my nod as the best defender. All right, I don't want to reward that kind of behavior. So I, surprisingly, you might have mixed feelings about this. I had Kyle as my best defender. Because the way he painted that sign? Because <laughs> the way he painted that sign kind of cracked me up. Like, honestly, I had mixed feelings about that, too. Because if you look, he did paint the sign after he nailed it to the side of the porch. So stupid. Which is really stupid. Had to use his jetpack. <laughs> had to use his jetpack to hover up there to paint the sign. <laughs> which at first I was like, oh, Kyle, why don't you paint it while it's flat on the ground? That Otherwise it'll get all drippy. But then I did think, you know what? If you paint it while it's already hung, it might get all drippy and the letters would look even more scary. He's trying to keep out superheroes. So, you know, that'll work. But mostly... Boy, he's just a real drip. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's probably it. I'll put in the rim shot for you there. Thanks. You earned it. But mostly, I chose him as the best defender for the same reason that you chose him as your sucka. He didn't follow his instincts. And I think Kyle not following his instincts is a best case scenario. And I hope it seems like he's maybe learned the wrong lesson from that. But I want to reward him for not following his instincts. So I award him best defender. That is refreshing. Conversely, who did you have as the worst offender? (sighs) It pains me to do this, but due to her poor ability to maintain her secret identity, I gave it to Patsy. Wow. Otherwise, she was a delight. Yeah, I guess I understand that. It is to a close friend of hers in that they're from the same universe. (laughs) I really don't think they interacted all that much when they were both in the romance line of comics, but I like the idea that, like, well, they're from the same universe, so therefore they're best friends. Mm -hmm. It's like if you ever went over to your grandparents' house and they're like, oh, there's a boy in the neighborhood that's within four years of your age. You'll be friends. I set up a play date for you. And you're like, oh, no. (laughs) I have had almost that exact experience. As have I. Keith. (laughs) The little boy's name was Keith. I don't remember the boy's name. I remember we went candlepin bowling. Oh, that's fun. Seemed like a nice kid, but just very awkward social mm-hmm. interaction. Yeah. 
I decided to go with Sagittarius. <laughs> He's still declared a defender. And the reason I chose him is that at the very beginning of the comic book, as he is being arrested, he misuses the word literally. And it's just kind of a pet peeve of mine. As he is being hauled off, yeah, that dame is dynamite. Literally. Mm. No, no, that, that dame is dynamite metaphorically. Her mind packs the power of a mule kick. Again, metaphorically. So whether he is referring to her being dynamite or her mind packing the power of a mule kick, neither one of those is literal. So bad job, Sagittarius. You're a robot. You should know better. I think he's a robot. Are they robots? Are they? I thought they were genetically created creatures. Mm, difficult to tell. Hmm. I thought they were akin to life model decoys. But who can say for sure? I can't. No, nor can I. So that means no one can. Because we're the best! And the only two people in this room. What was that song from that movie? You're the best. Around! No one's ever gonna keep you down. You're, You're the, the best. best. Around! Oh. Yeah, Joe Bean Esposito. Dude, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite panel? Joe Bean Esposito. That's not a panel. Just trying to remember the name in case this comes up for a trivia thing. My favorite panel, I had a couple choices. I think I, I mentioned before I liked the way that the uh, the expressions were rendered on people's faces. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorites was on page 31 that I called Surprised. And it's when uh, Hellcat and Kyle get Val's note that she's out of there. And yeah. they both look shocked. Yeah. That was well done. My favorite, though, was one that was a little smaller and kind of more subtle. And it's on page seven, and I called it Horse. And it's when Val is petting Aragorn while he's having a drink, and his little horsey tongue is sticking out, and it's just cute. That's nice. And horses are hard to draw, mm -hmm. because people, I think, are tempted to dial back their terrifyingly large heads. Mm -hmm. But no, uh, Perlin and uh, Bruce Patterson do a nice job drawing horses. So Page seven. Yeah, I horse. think that's a good choice. I was torn between a few things. There are a couple of world-weary Patsy panels uh, from page 14 and 15 when she's talking with Millie that are just really, really nicely done. Sadly sipping a soda. Mm-hmm. That is one of them. But just the expressions on her face are just really, really well done and just, like, it's a very beautiful drawing of Patsy. I also really liked Kyle's sign-making panel. <laughs> he's got the dripping paintbrush and everything as he's hovering on his jetpack to paint the words on a sign. Stupid, stupid man-child. <laughs> and I also really liked the picture that just had the pop art that's in Professor Turk's apartment with the pie tree and, you know, the decor that will one day adorn the walls of our famous chain of nightclubs, Sinanigans. The suburbs will never be the same. They're going to rock so hard. Or swing? Mm. Nobody knows. I bet we could probably get Big Bad Voodoo Daddy to play there every night. <laughs> what else are they doing? Come on. Um, Touche. We're going to actually need animatronic versions of them because this thing is a oh chain. Oh my god, yes. It we need animatronic Brian Setzer in every Sinanikins. No other way it'll work. <laughs> The experience just won't be the same. Ah, uh, leading a band of what kind of animatronic animal should be in the Brian Setzer Orchestra animatronic Sinanigans band. 
Well, cats would be obvious. Well, yeah, but I worry that would get into copyright problems with the stray cats. Oh. Um, but I don't think you can just... Tigers. Aha! Yes, yes. Tigers, ocelots, jaguars, wearing 90s swing revival clothing. Zoot suits, even. Obviously. And you know what? They're going to do a cover of Zoot Suit Riot. <laughs> wow! Oh. Boy. It's just got... Sw- more and more nightmarish. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I was looking for the adjective, but that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think my favorite panel is, <laughs> is uh, Sad Patsy from page 14. Nice. Now, we both know that the Hulk rules. In this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? Yeah, in this one, the Hulk's absence speaks volumes. Hmm. And I think this is similar to other rules he's had in the past, but it's an important one. And that's this idea of if you are at some point going to have to be a superhero, which inevitably means taking care of situations and other people, you first have to take care of yourself. Mm. You got to get yourself right before you can help other folks. Can't pour water from an empty pitcher. Can't pour water from an empty pitcher. Mm. So he's off filling his pitcher, doing his thing, taking care of himself. Nice. I had the Hulk's rule being one that he learned from Valkyrie's behavior, which is sorcerously induced madness is no excuse for not leaving a note. Always leave a note. If magical demonic forces affect your mental condition and you have to leave, leave a note or people will worry. So yeah, leave a note. That's the Hulk's rules. Can't pour water from an empty pitcher and leave a note. Good on Valkyrie for doing that. Yeah, very considerate. I bet, given her condition, her penmanship is much worse than our fans. It's a high standard. I was going to say, it's a high bar, Hub. Yes, much higher than the bar at Sananigans, which will be at a normal height for bars. And we'll have a pie tree behind it. Mm-hmm. Not tending bar. No, just Can we decoration. get an animatronic Cory Glover to tend bar? I don't know. I'll ask him at work. Okay, see if he could. Corey, I think it's time for us to write some wongs. In the year of our Lord 1978 and the month of our Lord November, what wongs needed writing? So November found Wong politically engaged. Wong had made his way out west to California, where California has a a ballot initiative system where there's legislative changes to the way that the state laws uh, work that can be made that are that are voted on. And so there was a ballot measure proposition, which was called uh, Proposition Number 6, so-called Briggs Initiative, after a Republican legislator from Orange County, John Briggs. The long and the short of it is, <coughs> yeah, big raspberry noise. If it had passed, it would ban gay, lesbian, or uh, allies from teaching in public schools. And the way that it, I don't know what the letter of the measure was, mm-hmm. but it basically said um, gays, lesbians were their supporters. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Fortunately, it didn't pass because of a lot of very visible public opposition from political figures. And so where Wong figures into this is we talked before about his relationship with President Carter. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he got on the phone with his, his buddy Jimmy. He's like, hey, man, you got to help us get the word out that this is bad news and shut it down. Interestingly, also Ronald Reagan, former governor of California, came out against it. Oh. And um, Harvey Milk also, right. who 
tragically was assassinated later that month. Yeah. But anyway, that's one of the things that Wong was up to, righting some wrongs or preventing some wrongs from happening. Well done, Wong. That was one thing that Wong was up to. Another one, in a somewhat lighter, more frivolous vein, Wong was hanging out with his old friend Namor, which was something that he did regularly. They had really struck up a personal friendship that was kind of outside of the Defenders. One of the unfortunate side effects of this was, at the time, Namor was spending a lot of time having a somewhat tumultuous friendship with Doctor Doom. So they were appearing in supervillains team up together as as, uh, a bit of an item, as it were. And so Wong was kind of the third wheel on one of their friend dates. They ended up going to some some hockey games together. They went to Indiana because... uh, (laughs) I almost used this one. Because (laughs) Namor and Wong were big fans. They were really into hockey. Namor had gotten into it when he uh, realized that ice was frozen water, which took him longer than it should have. Oh, Namor. But uh, but he, he had a bit of an affinity for the sport, and uh, Wong really just liked, from an engineering standpoint, seeing Zambonis in action, as we all do. Sure. And so, through that, they had developed a mutual interest in hockey, and there was a prospect that they wanted to see play. And so, they saw there was a young player named Wayne Gretzky who was playing for the Indianapolis Racers, and they were pretty impressed with what they saw. They saw a lot of potential in this kid, but unfortunately, Dr. Doom really, he was feeling like a third wheel. He didn't give a shit about hockey, and he's not really great with people, so he just started just bellowing angrily at anyone who would listen about how Wayne, this Wayne Gretzky... He, he's nothing. He needs all of these other players on the ice to protect him because he can't fight. Which was a criticism leveled against Wayne Gretzky, but uh, Wong and Namor were just like, hey, guys, he's he's really good. But unfortunately, Dr. Doom has a very forceful personality, and he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. So when Namor said, this Wayne Gretzky is good, Dr. Doom replied loudly, what are you talking about, witless fools? And people listened. One of those people was the head of the Indianapolis Racers who traded Wayne Gretzky, or I think maybe even sold his contract sold. to the Edmonton Oilers, where he went on to become Rookie of the Year, scored 106 goals that year. One of the other people who was listening, who maybe had had a few too many pulls from his bottle of schnapps that he was keeping in his pocket, was a TV producer who slightly misheard what are you talking about witless fools and was like that's got a nice ring to it and that is why on november 3rd different strokes premiered and incorporated the phrase what you talking about willis and that is what wong was up to that's so funny those were the two that i wanted to use but i was like there's no way that you can string these together nice work i guess Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. It has been a real treat for me. It's been fun hanging out with my brother, Corey, getting great presents and cards from you. Yay. And talking about a comic book that was one-third pretty good. Two-thirds fart noise story. My fractions aren't that good. It's slightly more than that good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like two-thirds of the... Kyle painting the sign. Well, I know. I just mean in terms of page count. I feel like most of the story was devoted to the Tanyan. It was a very big amoeba. Okay, still, fart noise. Yeah, there we go.
Uh, if you would like to get into touch with us, there's a couple ways you can do so. As you heard earlier, you can contact us via our P.O. Box at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294. You can also contact us electronically, as this is the future, at ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also all over the internet in the various places you might expect to find us. Uh, Facebook, Tumblr, LinkedIn, Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, Tweets. Oh, tw no, yeah. Didn't Twitter. I say Twitter? Did you? I don't know. But we're on Twitter, mm -hmm. so you can follow us there. Where I actually had a fun conversation earlier with Lucas, who sent us the nice bird postcard, about which NBA players would be likened to which alcohols. That was fun. Oh. I think my favorite one that I had was he asked me what Jordan was, and I said he would probably be Johnny Walker Blue, because I resent older businessmen who don't really know what they're talking about telling me that it's the greatest of all time but anytime i'm exposed to it i'm forced to admit that it is legitimately amazing and they're not necessarily wrong ah touche yeah and uh danny ainge's quantro for reasons i no longer remember anyway you can follow us on twitter if you want to hear me talk about shit like that <laughs> and other stuff comic book related stuff i promote the show on there too and make dumb jokes if you would like to support the show monetarily, a good way to do that would be to visit us at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a bunch of bonus material that is for donors only. We've recorded a bunch of extra podcasts, including the monthly podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. A show that I co-host with my wife Lisa about 70s Howard the Duck comic books. I also make video reviews of classic comic books. And there's a bunch of extra other stuff on there, and there's different rewards for d different donor levels as well. Uh, but mostly, it's just a really nice way for you to let us know that you appreciate what we're doing and would like us to keep doing it. You can also, if you can't afford to donate monetarily right now, you can support the show by leaving us a review. Heck, pretty much anywhere where reviews are left. Uh, you know, Yelp, signposts, uh, write it on your cat. Don't write it on your cat. Mm -mm. No. Mm -mm. People, not, not enough people would see it, and your cat would hate that. Mm -hmm. But you could put, like, a, just a sandwich board outside of your house. Uh, take a picture of it. You could put it up on a marquee. Uh, tighten up the defense. It's the best podcast. Mm -hmm. There are two angel babies sent from heaven. Like Great those, at dog uh, haircuts. Magnet things that go on the side of vehicles. Oh, yeah. You could get some of those printed up. Slap them on the outside of your, uh, your cargo van. No one will suspect that it's up to no good. I'm not saying it is up to no good. I'm just saying no one will suspect that it is. Why would they? It obviously isn't. Minivan. Yeah. You name it. What are you getting up to in that minivan? <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody needs to know. Amen. Anyway, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. This uh, from Oliver the Musical. You've got to pick a pocket or two. About pickpocketing. I know you disapprove of my musical stuff, but you like my pickpocketing stuff. I don't approve of musicals or crimes, mostly. <sighs> Fine.
Well, you want to just make a podcast then? <laughs> Whatever. That's like a wee heavy. A wee heavy. That's a type of Scottish beer, like a barley wine. Oh. This is not. It's a red ale. I thought it was the new Nintendo console. The wee heavy. Yeah. Mm. It's the not specifically non-portable kind. The camel wide of gaming consoles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it costs the same, but it's bigger. Yeah. Therefore, uh, probably a better deal. Better deal. Mm. Yeah.